Welcome to Living in the Matrix. I'm Jonathan, and I'm left of center. And I'm Rich, and I tend to lean a little bit more to the right. But the bottom line is, is together we try to look for the balance of what it means to be human in today's world. Uh, so let's get started. Welcome, everybody, to Living in the Matrix. I'm Jonathan. Say hello, Rich. Hey, everybody. This is Rich Goulet, and this is our second podcast this week. So we're excited to be here for uh, doing a twofer for the, for the same week, and if not, one more on next Friday. Yeah, it's uh, it's exciting. This uh, podcast has grown substantially. Uh, love the guest invites. Love the comments. Please feel free to review us. Uh, we're also on YouTube, so if you want to watch the video. And but today we have a guest, uh, Cleburne, who is someone I found on Instagram, and I essentially look for people that I want to vibe with. And this guy had like bright lights all over it because he talked about. We live in a game, which is essentially very close to the context of living in the matrix that we started with. So welcome, Cleaver. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you guys for inviting me. I'm, uh, I'm excited to, uh, to pick each other's brains a little bit. Awesome. 100%. So unpack for me and our audience this idea that you communicated, because it's very much central to what we have started with living in the matrix of we're living in a game. What did you mean by that? Um, well, the, the question I was asked was if, if life is a game, how do you play it? The, that was sort of the theme of that podcast. The name of it was the, the human game and how to play it by, by Nick Zai. But, uh, effectively I was trying to tie in a couple of concepts where theology and quantum physics meet. Um, and to try to make that simple to digest is, a uh, you know, not always easy because this can be a very broad concept, but the word matrix is popularized from the movie, the matrix. So we start immediately putting things in the framework of a game or a digital version of reality. Right. Um, but the word matrix first originated in the Bible. You guys, you guys may have even known this, uh, in the old Testament, but the first place where the, where our language has used the word matrix was in the Bible. And the framework that that word used was to describe a womb. So you oh, could wow. look at, yeah, it, the wow. two it was used. It was describing a womb and a, a baby coming out of it. What's so the when, verse? What's the, Hebrew, what's the Hebrew? And what's the Hebrew for that? Is it is it like Hebrew? Yeah. Um, are we talking about? I got I got to grab my notes now to check this okay. up. Just, this is taking a minute. Please edit this part. No, out. absolutely. Um, okay. Okay. Give me one second. I, I keep a bunch of notes because I can't in my mind catalog the the verse, but I've got it. Uh, I just totally geeked out because that is something I have never heard, and I love yeah. it. I just totally love it. God bless the Wachowski brothers. Um, you know, even though we're still on, on off off peak here, um, I mean, they they brought in Christianity, um, Buddhism, you know, all science and technology, all in the Matrix, right? There's so many different themes going on with Nebuchadnezzar and with Trinity, right? And so they were onto something for you sure. Who they, they remind me of is they remind me of the guy we had on, Lonely Stoner, Andrew. Mm -hmm. They just call bullshit on a lot of stuff. Like they kind of ask, okay, what does okay. science teach us? And that's why, you know, Num it's like our narrow yeah. frames allow us to stay in these narrow channels. Go ahead, Cleveland. The the reason we want to stay in these narrow channels, we I mean we do right like the the nature of all of reality that exists beyond our five human senses, right? Like a lot of people still think they are their their bodies, so it, it's awfully taxing to start getting your mind around the fact that there's a whole big reality that is scientifically verifiably there beyond the light and sound wavelength frequencies that our eyes pick up. There's a lot happening. So 
uh, us as humans at this time are kind of getting a greater capacity of being able to be aware of, comfortable with, and interact with the rest of that reality. Um, the people in the past who were able to do this uh, could do miracles and things like that. So it was shocking for everybody else around. But the word matrix first appeared in Numbers 1815. Everything that openeth the matrix in all flesh, which they bring unto the Lord, whether it be men or beasts, shall be thine. Oh, wow. So um, one, a biblical way to look at what that might have meant is that this human experience, this entire human history of consciousness evolution is a womb of cells forming together to birth something new. That's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it in the modern, in the modern times in a digital reference and a parable that makes sense in our like digital age. So the, the world being a game, this is sort of also where theology and quantum physics need to shake hands and find, find the agreement that people thousands of years ago just didn't have the, the language to describe the way we can now. But when you are able to zoom into an atom close enough, you start to see a couple of electrons but mostly empty space, right? 99.999% mm -hmm. empty space. It's Much five like, or seven nines. It's huge. It's huge. And then when you think about the universe, right? Every now and then there's a star or a planet, but it's a lot of empty space. So an atom and the universe and the cells in our bodies, and you start pick, you know, connecting the dots where there's a lot of things that are the same folding in on themselves and repetitive in that sort of nature. So the fact that our reality is here, it obeys certain rules, uh, but it's also, there's nothing connecting everything, right? There's, it's just a lot of empty space in our bodies and our material world, but also everything is connected where quantum theory, quantum entanglement talks about how, if I say something here, the vibrations of my word will affect a star on the opposite end of the, the universe instantaneously. In in real time. So things like that, when you look at things like the double slit experiment, mm -hmm. which, is, which, which documents that particles not observed do not behave the way they do when they are observed. So reality depends on our consciousness participating in its, in its manifestation. So to that degree, wrapping your head around reality as a game is moving in the right direction, but where we are needing to get collectively is that it is a game that all of our individual consciousnesses are co-creating with the divine. And the reason there's so much chaos in the world is because most people aren't even aware that their consciousness is creating reality. Mm -hmm. So their attention is just all over the place. So the more people can combine their attention onto a thing, the faster and more evident it shows up. That's sort of why the Christ said, where two or more gathered in my name, there I am too. Uh, if several people were to sit in a Christ consciousness state of mind, or at least a common goal, especially a goal that is of love or for love, those things will start to show up much, much faster. Wow. I'd love to flesh that out a little bit more because you also talked in another podcast about um, the Magi coming and visiting Christ and very likely when he was in his early stages might have done some training. So first, I want to talk about a little bit about your theology and what that looks like is on this podcast, we've had a lot of people, people moving from Mormonism to um, atheism and or nihilism in between and settling with there. Um, there's a lot of people on this podcast who believe that we are God. Um, God want, and Jesus wants us to be him, not just in terms of the fullness you might see in the book of Ephesians or, you know, be like him or like a be like a mini Christ, but rather that we are 
we have the same nature that Christ has that we can be God. So there's a lot of that going back and forth. What's your view on and, and what kind of theology are you, are you most leaning towards? And then let's um, pivot that and um, go into that second part about that little story about Jesus and where he might have done some training um, in that view you had on an earlier um, interview. Okay. Uh, so to start off first, this would be to whoever hears this, a lot of people, especially when they're earlier in their theological development or they're just starting to feel comfortable asking questions that sort of uh, test the framework that they've been raised in, everything that isn't what you've originally heard, you you almost want to say blasphemy and shut it down, right? So to mm-hmm. whoever's hearing this um, or not, or however somebody may take this, I would say that Jesus, Yeshua, Jesus, however, whichever language you would pronounce the name of that man that lived was the Christ. And he is the one who at this time, while I'm alive and the information I had, he is the Christ, my savior, who was the beacon, which is the world's beacon. There's a reason why our calendar says it's the year 2023. And if you go backwards, he wasn't born at year zero, right? Like we started our calendar a certain way. And from where he was, it either goes up into the future or it goes up into the past, but this is where we start. And from here, truth is revealed if you just press in long enough. So Jesus Christ, Yeshua, Jesus, however people want to say that name, Yahweh, whichever name, but everybody's got an idea that there was this guy. Um, and that is, that is my guy. That is my, my guide, my savior who I have followed as far as religious or spiritual pursuits. And anytime I get new information, that's where I go back to the lens. Ch- yeah. To check. Yeah. Um, to make sure I'm not like wandering off into a full delusion up to a certain point. And then you start being invited into spiritual communion and to, into, uh, you know, contact, if you will, or, or whatever, spirit, spiritual communion with, with information outside of, uh, other folks. Got it. Yeah. So, uh, let me ask a quick question then, Rich, I want you to ask that tangent question. Cause I thought, or the middle ground, cause I actually read about that today and I wanted to dive in if you didn't, but, um, what is your view of, uh, I think back to Rich's first question of God, is God a separate entity or is God part of your entity? To understand how to frame that, first, you need to know who are, who are you? Who am I? Am I this set of eyes and this physical body and these 7 trillion cells that make up my, my flesh and blood and bones? Am I the voice in my head? Am mm-hmm. I the one listening to the voice in my head? Um, am I all of those things, which are also separate things, but they're all working in unison. So this is why the Trinity confuses people and people who don't have the patience to sit and try to wrap their head around, uh, a, a difficult concept will immediately dismiss it and say, well, you, you can't be God and the Holy spirit and a dude all at one time. Uh, you know what I mean? But you and already you are, but you already are, you right. are, you are the consciousness right. in this that's also outdoing things. And we are bringing things from outside of us into our consciousness, into our awareness, and we turn it into reality all the time. We just, some stuff, we don't chalk it up as to, as to how miraculous it is. But right now we're talking to each other from three different total locations, sharing video and, and sound. And you know what I mean? If this was 500 years ago and somebody saw this 
it would blow their mind. They would think it was either witchcraft or a miracle or right. whatever. So what looks like a miracle is just based on how comfortable you are with the technology that's being presented in that moment. And what God is, is he a separate entity or is he one of us? It's both. It's a, to be at the God level, the all level of consciousness is to understand and be fully looking through the eyes, eyes of every single piece of creation mm -hmm. that it, that can exist or that can be imagined. But also as the aspect of God looking through my eyes, like I have to perceive a separation between me and you and you in order for there to be any opportunity to have this refining experience, this uh, consciousness evolution that's taking place. I, I just think that, you know, this is why we have these conversations because it's brilliant, but also can be confusing. There's this one scene in Westworld, which is obviously um, a Michael Crichton original um, idea my goodness, I think he could also actually project if you could look at his, some of his writings. But this guy who was who's it was just Jesse Pinkman in Breaking Bad. I forgot his name, but he goes, am I me? Because a lot of these people had been redownloaded into their brain. Right. So they had a new skin and they had their consciousness there, but they still didn't even know what was up. So going back to where you are, what what's interesting is if you can appreciate the awe of the world and look at it with pure observation mm -hmm. in my mind and you could have that pure joy of of just being of ontology i could see where you could be in that same level playing field with god and 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 be with co co in union with that consciousness right in the terms of that consciousness mm. I, I think that what people in power want to have and people who are maybe still maturing on their journey like myself i still think that ontologically i'm not god that he is still transcendent that he has the abilities at least we've prescribed to him over the millennia of, mm -hmm. of omniscience, of ubiquity, of, you know, a variety of other things, including foreknowledge, which I don't uh, aspire to have or, or think I have. Right. And so right. in that regard, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, are there places where you would agree that we are different from God um, if we're not the same with him on that level of consciousness you just described? Right. That's, that's, that's exactly what I, what I am saying. That's so okay. the, the essence of God, the spirit of God, that's referred to like when the Bible talks about how God formed man from clay and then he breathed the breath of life into man. Right. Oh. So, so we have a functioning clump of cells that can run on autopilot, but if I don't get another breath within the next two minutes, I'm done. Mm -hmm. So the first most important thing I need is that exchange that reminds me which even though in Psalm 81, where God says, have I not said ye are gods, but you shall die like men. Mm -hmm. So we are, we are the sons and daughters of the most high. We are being trained and groomed into, you could call it ascension or a higher power or becoming Christ-like, but we must be trained and we must be initiated if you will, and refined because an uninitiated person cannot be trusted with the level of gifting and power that Jesus Christ had or demonstrated. The reason why is because if I woke up tomorrow and I thought, why don't I just see if I can walk on water and I did it, what would I do with that ability? How would I use that to serve the collective or would I use it to serve my ego or, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or if I was, or if I was anywhere off of the total highest vibration of love, I, the lower you go, the less you can be trusted with higher spiritual power. Fair so, enough. so this womb that we're in this, this consciousness evolution that's taking place is refining all of us 
which you could view each individual as a cell within the body of God that's serving a purpose. So that another way to look at that is God above us a hundred percent at the level of all at the level of God awareness, all is seen and it's outside of time. So time doesn't have the same concept, but when God is breathing life into you and experiencing the life of you, now that sort of gives it context because it's watching your experience in a slowed down pace, if you will. Um, but just like you wouldn't ask, like if, if we could call it an organ, but even any cell in my body, like, is my heart me? Am I more or am I less? Well, I can't live without it. And it's going to keep doing its thing regardless of what my conscious is thinking to some degree. Um, so that's sort of what I think we are. We are made by the creator. We are animated by the creator but we are existing as co-creators because we're being born. We're being grown in the womb, in the matrix. So let me ask a clarifying question because this is the stuff that Rich and I talk about on this podcast all along is, um, so there's an idea of distance that historically, especially, did you grow up evangelical? Uh, I don't know. I, I wouldn't know how to answer that. I grew up in a, in a small Texas town in the eighties. So pre-internet, small town, Bible belt, you can. Okay. So. A theistic, a Christ-centered, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And I get that framework. In that framework, there is God and then there is us and the two shall not meet. Mm -hmm. Grace enacts allowing the human being to come into that God world, but they, they're they're never together. They're never one. Where is your theology in terms of that separateness? Is it, we are one? Or we are two distinctly different. Well, that's also like back to the question, was Jesus God or was he a man? Well, Jesus said, I am. Yeah. What did he say? What did he say he is? Can you say I am? I do say that is my, that's my, that's my bio, I guess, on my social media. Yeah. And that's the distinction that I always want to make is that that the consciousness, the Christ consciousness is of I am, that your Mm -hmm. soul is of God. Yeah. And there is no separation. None and, whatsoever, yeah. but the human body can create the appearance of a separation. Right. And that's sort of where right. I'm at. I am at an increasing yeah. level of surrender yeah. into divine flow and trust mm-hmm. that I am, I am here. I am co-creating, yes. I'm doing a work, but I, but it is not in any way or in a, in a very decreasing way of what I Cleburne thinks he wants or needs because I Cleburne cannot see the big picture and how every mm. puzzle piece fits together. So what my, my prayer is, what my, my uh, expansion is towards is how to be more in perfect alignment with, and this is where people could say, God, the father, all source that I am in alignment with the creator's will so that as I surrender more fully into the story that I am here to, you know, help experience or to experience or to, to serve that it can flow through me without my ego and my will distorting what is to come through me. This is awesome. Yeah. Rich, this is real. So I've been uh, thinking about this very question in terms, because Rich and I have been in this conversation for about a year now, about a year ago, I told him, I said, I am. I said, I don't believe there's a separation between me and God because I grew up with a historical framework that said, I'm a sinner and the only way is back through grace. There's never a perfect integration. It's always a separated integration. Yeah. I am weak and he is strong. Right, 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 right. 
So last year I made the distinction because that's historically not what I grew up in. And I, um, and I told Rich last year, I says, I said, I, I am. Yeah. I'm just going to go down that road and see what happens. And here I am a year later. And what I realized for me is that Jesus said, I am. Yeah. Like if we're using Jesus as the guidepost, yes. why don't we get to say I am? <laughs> that's and now, because Jesus controlled the weather. So if you can go out there and control the weather, I told you, I think historically, but let me add one addendum to this. What I realize is that I learn more about science and I learn about the amygdala and how the brain works is that I've created a functional AI version of myself that projects through my visuals to see exactly what I see in this visual image. And that's Jonathan. But that's not who I am. That's a stored memory of who I think I am. And I'm always going to get it wrong. And when I step away from that and let myself be I am, yeah, it allows Jonathan separate weight. That's the material world. But it's not mm-hmm. the whole of who I am. So it then becomes unlimiting rather than limiting. Yeah. The anything you say I after I am, anything you say after that, people say it's it's casting a spell, it, it will be true. Well, Almost anything you say after I am is a very limited ego expression of what yes. we think we are, right? Like just saying I am and leaving it at that is exactly I am, I am, and then God will fill in the rest with what is supposed to happen. Um, so I, and as far as Jesus changing the weather, uh, I kind of want to point out two things on that one, the pretty much the only times he ever really got frustrated, um, the, the, the main times he got frustrated, right? Like he was fine sleeping during a storm. Like he was mm-hmm. on a boat sleeping. The storm yeah. wasn't the problem at all. He didn't even bother to, to turn it off for himself. He got annoyed because his friends woke him up because they were freaking out. And he's like, oh, guys, I'm right here. Obviously nothing's going to happen. Right. But maybe that storm was part of like what needed to happen for the crops and the, the ecology and that, uh, the, you know what I mean? And the ecosystem right there. Like who, like if, if a hurricane was coming through here, it might be good if we all stop it and save lives, but it might be part of what needs to happen because the earth also moves through its cycles and motions. So me, Cleburne needs to be able to say, I am willing to be part of whatever God has planned for me up to and including a death that feels uncomfortable, which they're all going to anyways. Right. Mm -hmm. So that being said, um, when Jesus changed the weather, one, he was asleep on the boat, so he wasn't too stressed about it. And then when he got up and it's like, fine, we'll, t- we'll turn this storm off right now. But he told his disciples several times, you'll be able to do all that I've done and more. That was one of his things for us. He and he that. got, and he got frustrated when they were having a hard time with this. Like the time they brought him a woman that was, uh, needing to be, needing to be cleaned Exercised. of demons. Yep. And he was like, guys, how much longer am I going to be with you? you? Like, you've been with me. You've seen how we do this. You know we how to do, do it. This. You yeah. should be doing this right now. Let, now, this is a very important distinction because he didn't posture himself as saying, hey, y'all can't do it. I can, you can't do this. So you need to like follow me. When he said, I am the way, he didn't say, I am the way. He said, I am the way do it like this and you'll be able to do it. And what he kept trying to do was empower people. Uh, and that got him killed just like whenever, um, he was at the, uh, uh, the, the feast for the Palm Sunday and he came to town and Mary like washed his feet and he's at the banquet. People wanted to come see him. And the Pharisees were saying, not only, you know, they were discussing not only getting rid of him, can I say killing him? They're probably not a good word for the algorithm, but anyway, they wanted to get rid of him, but they also discussed getting rid of Lazarus 
who he had brought back from the dead. They said, because of him, because of reason of him, people are leaving us and following Jesus. Now, why would a religious body care anything about what people do with their eternal soul? They didn't care about that. They cared about losing their customers that they mm-hmm. had they had wrapped around their finger. They had a really good business model in place. I call it the the religious industrial complex. Mm-hmm. So here comes this for as long yeah. as it's been around. As soon as Cain killed Abel, that yes. that dictated how the world yep. was going to run, right? Yep. So, anyways, so that was what he came to do. He came to empower the individuals which creates more harmony in a group rather than a few individuals that understand enough of how spirituality works and enough of our innate desire to put our faith into something because we need to grow spiritually. But that doesn't get nurtured, which is why he makes so many references to people who hurt children, right? Like spiritual children. Mm. So the, the church was the one place where he went in and like flipped over tables and like wrecked house, right? Like he will straight up do that because that's the one place that means the most people that are capturing people's need to put their spiritual attention towards growth and truth, but they monetize it. They, they feed mm-hmm. off of that and they become a, they become a, like a, not a blockade. What's the word? A gatekeeper, right? Mm-hmm. So they say, you can come this far, but if you ask any other questions or you try to go past this blasphemy and hellfire and damnation, right? Uh, no question was off limits to Jesus. So yeah, he was here to empower people, said we should and could do all that he did and more, but we cannot get those same levels of mastery of the material world until we're able to accept surrender into the I am. And then we will begin being shown where we can actually perceive it, the energy that's around us that is up till now imperceivable to the human eye and choose to interact with the energy bodies that's in each person. So what, what he was doing was healing was just in real time, instantly clearing the energy fields of human beings. Um, when they say there was a lot of demon possessed people, um, we've all, we've all been old enough and around enough churches. You would think we would have bumped into a demon possessed person if it looked like what it looks like in the movies. Right. But that doesn't happen. What a demon is. So this sounds scary, right? But what were the, what happened every time Jesus bumped into somebody that was demon possessed? They called him out. They called the, him out. They called the him demons son of man. Got, yep. The demons got scared of him, right? They did. Correct. Now, what what is he to be scared of? He is pure love. So demons are those energies that are afraid of love. Mm. They feed on fear. They latch mm-hmm. onto people. And these can be sicknesses, illness. They are an energy. It's not a human personality that we can try to turn it into. It's an energy that gets into people to whatever degree. And what he was able to do was touch it with so much love because he never killed the demon. He took them out of the bodies of people. He didn't right. kill him. Yep. Yes. Yeah. So all energy is allowed to exist. But what's going to happen is as we are in this womb, this matrix, this purification process through the consciousness of all humanity, what's happening is like a sifting process. So anyone, any energy, any soul that is choosing to be cleared, to be elevated, to ascend is allowed to do so. Anyone that wants to sleep is allowed to do so. Wow. One, I mean, obviously there's a lot of like, like being asleep also is like being in the matrix um, and the battery, you know, pack, right. Where you're just living it out. Right. And some people want to get inserted back in there. And that's what we see today. Right. We see tons of this, right. Whether it's just being um, doom scrolling on, on Twitter or or TikTok, et cetera, right? This is all that. What I'd love to explore with you is, can you tell us some of the ways 
and some of the things that you're doing to do those surrenders, to get into that Christ consciousness, to help your body get elevated, to become more in alignment with the will of God so that you can be what those early apostles were, right? They, they overcame pain, suffering, persecution. They tapped into the source, right? They were there and elevated and they could be trusted like the, like the, not everybody can be trusted lot so how do you how what are some of the things you're doing today and what can you tell our audience that that's helping you get to that stage i would say that uh there are there are things that i do i would say religious practices or almost even religious experimentations or offerings if you will or just just things i pursue spiritually but before i say that i want to say that a lot of times what people look for is a thing to either use it as a way to sort of like manipulate God to get something like I'm going to, I'm going to go do that, read this thing or do this fasting or go on this retreat, or I'm going to behave this way. But what happens six months later when they didn't get the thing, the result they wanted out of it, does the pendulum swing back the other way? Do they lose their faith? So a process of surrendering my will is effectively what it all boils down to and not using any of these processes as a way to uh, not using them as a form of escapism either. So I'm not doing that as a way to avoid my life. So in my personal life, I'm 40 now and I've done a number of uh, things that in the back of my mind, I knew I was doing them so that I could prove to myself that I wasn't not doing it simply because I didn't think I could. I did stuff enough to prove to myself that, okay, if I want to do this, I can commit to this, I can do this, I could be successful of, of this, playing the world's game in any number of ways. But after enough of that, and I had proven myself to myself, I said, okay, well, that's really for sure not why I'm here and that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. So how can I practice letting go of one, what my ego, what my avatar, what my persona had been built up towards to get me to this point. How can I let that go? Who is my identity? And then how can I grow? What can I serve? So things that I do do, uh, like last week, uh, Wednesday through Saturday, I did a three day water fast. Mm -hmm. Um, so partly because as we just talked about the the disciples brought, brought a woman to be exercised and he said, these kind come out, not, but by prayer and fasting. Fasting. So, yep. so I was fasting as a way because it's one is just healthy, right? Like, uh, Dana White, the, the, the UFC president, right. Just posted a, a thing the other day saying he did a three day water fast. So I was like, honestly, it's probably time I should do, I should do a fast. I haven't done one. I've been like eating next to nothing all this year anyways, but I've been meaning to do a fast just to clean the mechanism and also take a break from which I fast from other things for, for periods of time, but a three day food fast. What that does is one, it gives your body a chance to clear and recalibrate and deal with some of the energy shifts that have been going on in the world that have been felt a lot. A lot of people have been like tired and feeling weird things. So not continually putting stuff in your body gives your chance, gives your body a chance to process what's already in it and get rid of stuff that has been trying to work out. Um, and then during that time, I became aware that even as someone who pays really close attention to everything that I, that I think about, uh, and I'm not, I'm a healthy person by like fitness standards, I'm pretty healthy, but I eat a lot as a, as a, as a self-soothe mechanism or as a coping mechanism or as an escapism. So there were a lot of times during those three days where I was like uncomfortable and the thought was like, I wanted to reach for some food. And I was like, well, I can't. So now what do I do with this emotion that I'm having? I guess I better just go sit down and breathe for a couple minutes, right? And then through that process, no big revelations during those three days because I didn't have the intention 
I wasn't doing it so that God could give me a vision or something like that. I was just doing it to do it because somewhere along the way, it's been proven and said in any number of arenas, secular, medicinal, spiritual, everybody says fast. So I do them sometimes. Yeah. You're, you're sloughing yeah. enough dead cells. Yeah. There's yeah. so many things that come from it, right? Yeah. So, Absolutely. So, and I don't, I, need to, I, I don't need to have a mental exchange in place that I'm expecting something. Now, afterwards, I, you know, I got some next, some next level stuff, but during that time, I just got to watch myself, how I view food as a, as a, as a mechanism outside of just fueling the body. And then once I was done and slowly reintroducing food, there were certain foods that I had been eating that when I, now that it's the only thing my body's getting, I like really can observe how it's reacting to my body. Whereas before I was just cramming stuff in. So it, it lets you be aware of the the sensitivity your body has to foods as you begin reintroducing. I think one of the central, um, I don't know if it's the appeals because fasting can be hard when you first start. Um, but it was deeply beneficial for me last year. I lost 30 pounds last year, primarily through fasting. And what I realized is that fasting is actually a, it's a practice of stressing your body. Mm -hmm. Um, so I can't remember who taught me about this. Like meditation is essentially the same thing. It's a practice of stress so that you can teach your body how to deal with the stress. So it's yeah. not fasting that's important. It's the dealing with the stress. And that was provocative for me when I kind of made that shift last year that, okay, it's not, you know, something I hate. It's something that's actually incredibly empowering when you learn, oh my God, I can actually handle that. Like that's very powerful. Yeah. Total. First of all, congratulations on, on losing the weight and then also gaining a higher capacity or mastery over your, yourself and your ability to like see yourself in, in real time. That's awesome. And I- well, It took me 56 years to get there. Are you 56? <laughs> you know? I mean, oh, it man. really took me 56 years to get to a place where I-, I So it started because in two, it's like 2010, I told my kids, you know, I'd love to be 225 again. I just as a joke. And every year I would say the same thing on my birthday or sometime. And my kids would always tease me about it. And then last year I uh, worked with a coach and realized I had been in living in survival mode for the last 10 years from my divorce. And all of a sudden I learned to let it go. And it was like, holy shit. And what I think part of those 30 pounds was, is just my historical inflammation from the stress of that. Right. Um, like I, it just came off. But I had the inertia. I told myself, you know what? I'm not, I don't want to be 80 and never have done it. I want at least to say, could I get back there? And I did. So I had a really intentional goal that I set for myself. And I think that really helped a lot. That's I always tell people, if you want to fast, you've got to set yourself a, a meaningful goal to even get there. Because once I set that meaningful goal, then all the obstacles weren't as strong. Right. So. Like you were committed to seeing it through. Mm. Yeah. Cause I yeah. think that's what fasting essentially is, is it's going into a stress state. Yep. Uh, Intentionally. I, I'd, uh, I'd made a video about this a while back, but I, I think entirely that med meditation, the biggest thing to take away from that is your ability to regulate your system, whether in times of boredom or in times of fight or flight, because like a lot of like, a lot of times people get so addicted to the escapism of meditation where you're in that half a sleep state, that theta brainwave state, and it is very peaceful. So sometimes people want to run off and live in a cave, you know what I mean? And just fall off of society because they'd rather pretend that that is the totality of an ideal life. Or people are so wrapped up in a, 
I always say that the stimulation is simulation. Like everything here is simulation, right? So some people just get totally into it and they're very hedonistic and very like, like, you know, super in the world, in the flesh and all fine and good. But where is the balance between that? When are you, when do you, you feel the most alive when you're in a fight or flight is triggered for one positive reason or another, right? Like lust or fight or something, you feel super alive when you feel super blissful and like you're touching spirit is when you're the farthest away. But meditation exactly should, in my opinion, help bridge that gap to where no matter where you're at in your life, you're sort of walking on one foot on each side of the veil. So even when somebody's like something stressful is happening, you can still sort of just in that moment, just consciously, unnoticeably take a breath and realize like, you know, your heartbeat's rising, right? Like you're so in tune with what your body's doing. You can just bring it back to where you want it to be. So you don't get carried away by the, your, it's control of your attention, which the world's always trying to feed on your attention and attract it into something. And then we're, we're led obliviously into whatever someone else has picked out for us. So meditation helps you control where your attention goes in any moment. Well, I think it's also important, uh, you call that something really interesting is that it's not just for dealing with fight or flight. It's also dealing with boredom. Boredom. Mm-hmm. And I think more people suffer from boredom than they do trauma. The, you know, they, it's, they, there's a sense of meaninglessness and you get bored. Boredom is really hard to deal with. It's because it's, it's constant. It's just a never ending wave. And I think what it does is it pulls us into either the past or the future. Like, oh, remember when it was awesome or <laughs> what if it got better? And we're always searching for the dopamine hit. Um, and I think, you know, it's kind of one of the things about social media that has taught us about what it means to be human being is we can get addicted to dopamine because we're bored as yeah. human beings, you know? Yeah. You're, well, you're spot on. Yeah. Jonathan, um, I don't know if you saw that. I don't know if it was Elon Musk or somebody who said they did these experiments about putting somebody in a room and just tell them to hang tight for um, an hour, right? To go sit down in a room by themselves. It's, it's not a dark room, but do that. And, and the amount of people that couldn't actually sit still for maybe even 20, yeah, for an hour, <laughs> but let alone 20 minutes. So I think going back to the, the, these disciplines that we're doing, I think, I think the, the more, more and more people being, are, 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 wa- are awakening to doing the hard things consistently over time has massive um, important effects. So whether that's meditation, because your mind, that the reason why they recommend 20 minutes is that first 15 minutes, you're just wrestling with yourself. And those last five are List. You're deep in, you're going in. People do ice baths, people do fasting. And when you're used to that and you have that, even though it's challenging, at least your brain knows how to correct itself. They've even said that it's better for you to, to lose your track of thought and go back to the constant that keeps you in that meditative state, the breath work or the mantra, than to go straight 15 minutes without having to do it at all. They actually like the fact that you recognize that's the beauty of it. And I had an interesting, I told Jonathan this a while back, and I think it was really key, is that I've taken ketamine, and so has Jonathan, um, not necessarily for uh, like coming out of you know addiction or depression, but to rather reset the brain because it has this ability. And we've both been places where we're seeing massive amounts of creativity going on. But one time I, I did it, I, I thought I was done with it, and I even talked to my my daughter, I went back into the room, I lay down and all of a sudden I'm looking up at this ceiling fan and I just keep looking up again and it's almost reverberating out and it's like, oh shit, this is not going away. I am not, oh my God, where the hell am I right now? Right. And so that's called the K-hole. You might've heard of that term, Cleaver. I'm not sure if you have, but when people are trapped in this space in their mind, um, there, it can be a really scary place. And 
and it's called the K-hole. Well, in my back of my mind, I said, you know what? I could be in a gutter someplace, knocked out dead. I could just be alive and free. I'm just going to let this thing go and ride this thing and see what happens. And I, very quickly, I got out of it. And I don't think I would have been able to transcend that K-hole moment had I not had some mental fitness in the head from meditation prior to that and some inner workings, right, to be able to get through those kinds of tough phases. So. I agree entirely. Like any practice that allows you to be more, be more quick at observing what's going on inside your, your consciousness and be able to steer it or at least accept surrender into the, into the moment and let go, let not let fear guide you. Right. Um, which is, I think the ever present initiation at every step it's, are you going to let fear guide you or love or faith, however you want to look at it, but it, it's always a shedding of fear. And then you grow in your spiritual awareness and power. Yeah. I want, I'm, I'm going to guess and say, you don't currently believe like you have in the past that you've sort of come to this space. Cause it's, would you agree with that? And if you do, where did that start? What, what really brought you to the, like, what was the attractors that really kind of shaped your thinking? Um, yeah. So even as a small kid, my main things that interested me, the things that called to me were, you know, what, like I'm seven years old wondering what is inner peace? How do, how does that, how do you get that? Right? Like what's the deal with Buddhist monks? Um, why don't we all just die and go to heaven now? What's the point of all this? It sucks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, so I was always wanting to understand how concepts like eternity work, who is God? What, why doesn't the Bible make sense a lot of times, or at least sometimes when I read it, why does it sound different than the way the old, the old preacher man up there says before he asked for the offering plate? So, um, so trying to make sense of the world, but also trying to make sense of who, trying to discover who am I? So a lot of my early life was, everything was geared towards that. All of my uh, vocations were geared towards that, right? I was in the Marines for four years. After that, I was a professional fighter for several years. Um, I've had a number of vocations that forced me to find out who I am in these types of situations and in these types of energies and how to flush out the crap that I didn't, didn't want, or at least come to grips with the fact that stuff that maybe I would have preferred otherwise, but this is, this is my limitation or a strength, whatever. So self-discovery, was probably the first many years of my, my process, whether knowingly or not. And then there came a point where I became comfortable enough to say, you know what, I can no longer go along with what doesn't sit right in my soul just because I've been programmed to think that outside of this thing, uh, is something bad, some sort of eternal punishment, because that also doesn't track for me. Like there wouldn't be built some system that just so happened to excludes all of time and history, except for this small pocket of humanity that just so happens to have been built around this one book and this one corner of the world. And if you deviate from that, you're screwed for all eternity. I'm like, well, that really rules out almost everybody <laughs> like when you, when you factor in all of time and history. So I was like, okay, so what is the universal truth and what is as true about me now? If I were alive 600 years ago or 600 years from now, th those were the things I wanted to know. What is universally true and what exists outside of time? And what is my connection to all of that? Um, as far as letting go of the fear of potentially being blasphemous, um, that was where that was a, the first big level of uh, letting go, just like you said, around the time of last year where you felt comfortable saying, you know what I am, I had to say, you know what I am, God, how you made me and right or wrong, 
there's plenty of both, plenty of right and plenty of wrong, but I was made, uh, I don't recall selecting any of this stuff, any of the, the, the environments I was born into or whatever. I feel like I do my very best. So from this point on, uh, I'm going to trust you to either correct me or strengthen me, but I'm going to, that was where I started shedding layers of fear, but also surrendering by saying, I just am, and I'm going to move as the spirit leads. And effectively it was a process of letting go of how much is my ego leading or my, my fear ego is generally fear-based or it's at least pattern recognition, trying to repeat itself, trying to get rid of that stuff and be more in line with the will of, we say the father, I like to pray to God, the father, because that verbiage, that imagery, uh, works well with me, but I, I know that what you would call God when you, when you visit with, when you are in the presence of looking through the eyes of the all, it, it doesn't exist in the same construct as like a, a man, like a sky daddy with a beer. That's not how that works. But, um, that is a really long winded way to say that you could probably edit all that out, but, um, through a, through a series, through a, through a few decades of self-discovery led to a point where I was comfortable letting go of that self. When was and, that? Uh, all of last year. Oh, so uh, this is recent that you really came to this space. Yeah. Yeah. All of last year was what you would call like my, a big tower moment or dark night of the soul. Like that a lot of people go through. I was just massively depressed. I could no longer keep up as well with all the responsibilities on my plate. Uh, I was doing my best to just, uh, yeah, keep the ball rolling and keep, keep the kids happy and comfortable and the house well put together and my health in order. But mentally I was like, I was certain I was about to die or something. I thought my body was about to give out. Mm. I didn't know what was going on. And then, uh, I just started letting go. And then earlier this year in January, uh, I started a TikTok where, cause I was like, well, nobody knows me there. So I can go there and say things that, uh, nobody's listening anyways. And maybe somebody will find me and I can have conversations that I would like to have that I don't have anyone else to talk about. And then that platform grew, you know, has been growing pretty quickly. And that's where what, one thing led to another and that's how you guys found me that somebody fr from there invited me onto a, a podcast and you guys saw it and now we're chatting. So, uh, yeah, last year was the old me dying, the ego death, the avatar had, had reached the end of the road. The, the midlife crisis, I call it as a, is a, is a spiritual shedding and what it's a, it's an opportunity for people to decide that this character that you built around the age of puberty that helped you survive and function and be successful in society uh, is only meant to get you so far. And once that thing is ready to kick the bucket, what a lot of guys do, especially, you know, like, what do you do? I want the yellow Corvette. I want the, I want the, mm. all, all the stuff, right? Like you want to go on trips or if you're in a position to date, you want to get a, get a girl or whatever. Um, so that's people saying, you know what? I've only ever known this worldly way of doing it. It's gotten me this far and something doesn't feel right, but I have to hold on to this. And then they spend the rest of their life trying to get through life and like an like old dead skin. Or if you're willing to let that version of you die and be born again, uh, there's there's a there's a spiritual empowerment that comes along with that, I feel. And I've, you know, I've been seeing more and more of that and you guys as well. Like uh, I'm pretty sure this past year of your life has probably felt a lot lighter and more uh vibrant than many of the years prior. The most profound year of my life. I mean, hands down, this has been the most profound year of my life. And I think because I opened my, I opened the door to possibility. Like I said, let's go, let's just dive down the street. I, I remember I walk my dog every night and it's right where it happened. I remember exactly where I was. And I said, I'm just going to do this and see what happens. Yeah. 
because intellectually it felt true already. Yeah. I probably had been in that space for probably a half a decade where I was very comfortable because Rich and I have already always had conversations about it. And I realized, okay, once I opened myself up to the possibility, now all my walks started becoming very, very different that I started because Rich and I have been in on a conversation around love as a way of life. I think that's the, that's the key for me of why Jesus has always been incredibly relevant is Jesus created a very simple key that says, if you live your life this way, it's not going to be easier, but it's going to be a massively better experience right. because you're, because when you practice love, you create a willingness to always see the good first. And that, creates an experience that is radically enjoyable. That's the best way I would put it is you start realizing, God, life is really much better than I see it. And our brain is not really used to working that way. That especially for there's, do you mind if there's, there's two takeaways I want to have from that? Like, uh, um, God saying live in love What that, what that actually looks like in real time. And then I also want to mention that for men in society, right? Mm. what, what the expectations are on us and the identity that for any of us that have made it up to, you know, our twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, we got that way by being a man in accordance with society's expectations. And a man is supposed to be certain and be this way. You know what I mean? So the idea of saying, I'm just going to surrender, that is a hundred percent like letting go of you know, what's going to be on the other side of this? Who, what kind of a man am I going to be after this? How, how is society going to receive me when I begin to practice surrender, when I begin to practice ease, uh, and t- even saying I'm going to walk in a vibration of love like that, you know, not too long ago, that would, that would just about be fighting words in some groups <laughs> of guys, right? Like, you yeah. know what I mean? So feminine. yes. So, so, so society has tricked men into not being the priest of the household who who serves the family and and functions as as the priest of the household the way, mm-hmm. like we've been historically biblically told that we are supposed to be the 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 channels through which love God's love can flow out into the world but also the leaders and the builders of a divine loving idea uh, so being a man in today's society adds a layer of challenge um and I almost want to say I'm glad that there is such an uprising of so many like hippie girls and like, like there are a lot of women in the space of spirituality that are creating a space where it's okay for men to feel accepted and not like they're going to look less manly to be able to have these kind of conversations. So in that regard, that is a, that is a way where women are leading or creating space for men to grow by saying it's okay to shift. Uh, it's not emasculating. It's not turning men into women. It's not, not feminizing. Right? It's not a, it's not effeminating men. It's yep. saying, we understand that what a, a strong man really does is operates this way, not that way. Uh, what we've been tricked into thinking is that a strong man is what we've been used as effectively slaves in a system that keeps us out of the home, keeps us focused on work, keeps us focused on materialism. Um, and anything else, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to touch on this cause I'm sure you guys you know, have, have wrestled with this enough, but it's, uh, that is shifting. But then also Jesus saying to exist in love, to, to follow his example, to carry your cross. He didn't say carry my cross, right? Like we we're talking about, he said, Pick up I your cross daily. Yeah. Way. 
So, mm-hmm. yeah. So I am going away, but this way is what you should do. You carry your cross. And then what happens is that's a lot like, um, you know, like we walk in the shade of a lot of trees that we didn't plant. So to some degree, we have to be the ancestors that does some work that continues to bring in more and more of that love into the world around us. So he went first. He, he came in at a time where the world was so backwards that spirituality was so controlled and weaponized that if you even attempted to empower people to their own inner divination, you'd get, you'd get in public, you know what I mean? Like crucified in public and made an example of. So he went first. We've been in the Christ stage ever since then, which is, uh, you know, I, I like to mention a lot that when he died on the cross and the earth shook up to the temple and the temple veil split from top to bottom. So since then, the veil's been open to all of us since then. So the people who press in and are willing to let go of fear and say, I'm going in, whatever this means, I trust you at least enough God to know that I wouldn't have this desire to look in here if it was a trick. You wouldn't trick me that way, right, God? Either way, I'm looking. So it's at least faith over fear to that regard. And as we do that, as more of us people keep allowing love to channel through us by existing simply in the I am, not the I am plus I want a nice house and then I'll be I am, or I am and I want things to work out this way and then I'll be, but just simply I am, God flow through me, heaven on earth through me, your will be done, not mine. So the more of us that do that, the more we're moving earth into a future where there will be tons of people existing in Christ consciousness, where healing is literally done through an actual grasp of energy on the Mm. spot, clearing Mm. demons, clearing sicknesses, illnesses, Mm -hmm. energies, energies that are attempting to destroy the presence of love, energies that flee when they are in the presence of love. That's what society is becoming in a very fast pace right now. I know. Yeah. Go ahead, Jonathan. No, no uh, if you had a thought, go ahead. That, that surrender is, is, is what's so key to me. And that's what's so crazy because the, the, the nature of what Jesus did in that Abraham 858, when he's asked, well, who, you, who are you? You came before Abraham. He goes before Abraham, I am, right? And so he's basically throwing down what God told Moses when he's going to Egypt to say, Who's, who should I say sent you? Say that I am sent you, right? So he's claiming that. But at the same time, he's surrendering that kenosis where he comes down and condescends and he opens it up. So what's crazy about that two-sided thing, which you talked about a while ago, is there were those times where he was sweating blood, right? You know, And the, the Garden yeah. of Gethsemane the night before. Yeah. Sweating he's, blood because he's seeing that separation that's going to happen yeah. in the future. And if this, and yet, who who drained the power from me when the lady touches him? I don't oh. know when the final judgment is coming. That's only the Father. That is the consciousness that I would love to embrace because you're you're tapping into both and right. Yes, like he was he was co he was a co creator. He was the most possible expression yes. of God mm-hmm. in the human form, in the form of love. But also, he wasn't totally in charge of the story. Because exactly, that's one of my favorite stories when you, you, you know, you kind of went past it and some people may not catch that, but where he said, who touched me, the story where he was in a crowd, a crowd was swarming him. So he was, he on was his way. and some yeah. woman wanted to be healed and she, she couldn't get his attention. So she reached out and touched his robe and he, without seeing what happened, was shocked and said, who touched me? I felt power go through me, which mm-hmm. meant he was just an open channel in that moment. And it wasn't because 
he, Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter, thought I'm going to heal this woman. But she, her faith, went and touched the Christ. Her faith could not be denied, right? Um, there are a number of examples of that also. So um, the uh, the centurion. Yes, whenever, the serpent. Yes, I was just thinking yes, the same exact thing. That, that's one of my favorite stories because a centurion was not educated in the Abrahamic culture. He was not a Jew. He, did not, he, he was a pagan, right? He did not worship the way they worshiped, but he was educated. At, and he was a blue collar guy. This is a soldier. But he was at least educated enough to be aware of this guy who he's hearing about and what he's doing and what that implied. And when Jesus was going to come and the guy said, hey, I'm, I'm not even fit for you to come into my household. Uh, I'm a man under authority. When I say one person to go do this or go do that, it's done. So I know all you need to do is speak a word, which meant he was aware that Jesus controlled energy. He controlled the invisible world. We could call that an, an army of angels, that he was aware that this guy had control of the unseen. And he had zero doubt to where he could say, don't even come in my house, but would you please just say it and it'll be done. And he was Boom. astonished. So Jesus looked around at his disciples and he's like, you, you jackasses, you see this guy? Why don't you get it? You're literally hanging out with me. And he's got that much faith. One of you guys got out on a boat and walked on water with me for a few seconds. Like, you know what I mean? So, um, so all of these concepts are, and him saying, you know, there's going to be people from the East and the West sitting at the table of the of Isaac and Abraham and Jacob, but the the children of Israel won't be there. That's his way of saying that everybody in the world is not excluded from gaining access to this Christ consciousness. You don't have to be born this way. You don't have to be circumcised or baptized or whatever. You just have to like be willing to know without a doubt that what you're looking at, and it's not a dogmatic thing. It's a presence of a energetic source of love that is a lot of people have a hard time accepting at this point, but it's uh, it's this, the the second coming is like sweeping right now because so many people are waking up into that that it's a at plane. least yeah, yeah I think it, it's it's almost like a, pla a, a a a planetary or a cosmic alignment right Would you agree that it's more like a, a a perception as opposed to well obviously the book of Revelation talks about the new Jerusalem coming yeah. right and God doesn't want to blow the planet up but. Are, are you saying, is, is it going to be twofold? Is there going to be something real to what Revelation talked about? Or is it is the actual shift something, the kingdom is truly coming within? What so, do you think? So I've actually been given a big, uh, man, I don't want to get too much into this, but you asked me. I wasn't even going to bring it up. But Go for it, brother. Yeah. Go. So I can't get into it too much, but there I, I will soon. Uh, so you know how Jesus said um, this age is ending mm -hmm. an age and back, in, and back in Genesis where it says, these are the stories of the ages of the days where God created the earth, the heavens and the earth. Right? So age, um, each age has a direct handoff to the next age. So in each age, there was a demigod, a Christ, a savior that was effectively spreading the same message. So you could look at Zor Zoroaster, mm -hmm. who was the first, first that we know of monotheistic religion in Iran. And this story that's thousands of years older than the story of Jesus is the exact same story. Miraculous birth, king of the land, had a, had an order out on his life. Um, 
archangels were involved in his upbringing. At a certain age, he left home to, to begin studying. At age 30, he reached Samadhi with Ahura Mazda. Ahura Mazda means the supreme, uh, supreme creator of the universe. And through that direct connection and through those teachings, he went out and shook up the established religion of the, I mean, it's the exact same story of Jesus Christ and it's thousands of years older. And this is not some fringe thing. This is hundred percent. No, yeah. It's, it's super historically validatable that this story existed, but I'm not saying at all that Jesus is a knockoff or a copy. He existed. This new timeline did exist, but you're saying his purpose was for an age. So here's the thing. So Zoroaster, his religion, uh, Zoroastrianism, those priests are called Magi. That's right. So the Kings of the East, the wise Mm -hmm. men of the East. Mm -hmm. So they are astute astrologers. I don't know how we as Christians just breeze right past the fact that there's a story that we sing every year around this time about three wise men that just so just so happen, you know, like in the picture books when we're kids in Sunday school, it's always some noticeably bright big, big star. star. Couldn't miss it, right? If right. you couldn't miss it, there wouldn't only be a few guys that just spotted it and followed it on a long journey to a geographic location. They were Zoroastrian priests who were very uh, skilled astrologers. So they were always observing the stars and they knew when the one came that said the birth of the king of the Jews, the new Christ has come. So that was their cue to go. They brought gifts as is appropriate to let mom and dad know who they are, exactly who this son is, which would be extra confirmation because as all of us that have been in the spiritual space know, we know God doesn't just give us one message. He's going to give you a few dots that would not connect otherwise a few synchronicities that don't connect otherwise, unless you know it's not happening because you somehow dreamed it up. Okay. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So Joseph and Mary, here's baby Jesus. We've already been visited by an angel. Stuff's already not making sense. He's born. Now three guys show up with gifts. They're well-dressed. They've got an entourage of servants. They're bringing gold and frankincense and myrrh. And they're letting us know also this kid's special. And then when he's of age, He's going to go train with them further. Okay. So uh, the difference is in each age where there was one, Christ was the one that said, there will be lots of us. We will all do what he did. Greater works than these and more will you do. He was the one that said, when he comes back, when the Christ consciousness returns, the end of this age will be a lot of people becoming Christ-like. And what to be on the lookout for is the people who are gaining that ability enough, but claiming to be the Christ, the one, or the one to attract your worship. So anybody that's not directing you, anyone that's not directing you back into your, into your center, not from a selfish standpoint, not in an ego vanity standpoint, but the kingdom of God is within you, right? Jesus said, it doesn't come by sight. You don't look here, look there. The kingdom of God is within you. So anybody that says, look at me is probably out to trick you. Anybody that says this thing that I'm doing, I'm only doing it to show you that you can do it too, because the father who is in me, I am in the father. I'm in the father and the father is in me. So that is a message throughout the ages that's said in different ways. And we are wrapping up the end of this age where there's a lot of people waking up to Christ consciousness. And uh, the shift, sorry, I got like getting 
chills um, about this one. But, okay. this one. but uh, okay, so here's where we really are. This is what I've really been shown outside of a space of time. So we are at the edge of this age and the people that have been doing the inner work and wanting to ascend are about to. The people that have stayed married to fear or to status quo or to the world are going to stay just like they are. Those who are ascending in the background of our world right now, like when you when you hear about all the energy sh- sh- Virginia, stuff that's happening. Virginia talked about this, um, Jonathan. Virginia Drake talked about this shift. Go ahead. The, um, sorry, the, the, sh- the, the Schumann resonance and all the, the, the power surges hitting Earth. So what's happening right now is the background of our reality, our hologram, our game, is effectively a software update being, being uploaded. And there will come a day in the fairly near future where a bunch of us just all of a sudden it doesn't, we don't really think about people we used to know, coworkers, acquaintances. There, there are a number of people who oh, just aren't. Shift. Yes. They're, they're shifting and, out of your consciousness. And they're our world. Yes. And the experience we are having of life is one where people are able to become aware of our, our energy bodies and the energy construct that we exist in to the level that Jesus did. And the world is going to heal and be able to grow, uh, manifest. If you, you know, it's going to shift much more rapidly because the people that are existing in that plane are going to share a common theme, which is we are here to exist in love and bring Mm. about love. And we are the, I am right. We're not Mm -hmm. the ego that thinks I want something or thinks I don't want something. And then those people that wanted to stay there, the world they are in, is going to be a much worse version of the world now. There's going to be a lot more chaos and calamity and disruption and natural disasters and stuff like that. They are going to see and physically experience the spooky stuff from Revelations to a, degree where, Earth, to a degree where Earth seems so unlivable that what they're going to do is plug themselves into the an actual matrix, a digital, you know, the in the backdrop of our life right now, there is AI, there is algorithm everywhere. How did that all of a sudden become such an ever-present thing in our life, right? Like I can't walk down the street and say something to a friend without later that day getting an ad for something we talked about, right? So what's going to happen? Neuralink actually exists to connect your brain to the digital space. I mean, we're, we're one step away from digital uh, tele you know, uh, telepathy yeah. and stuff right now. Transhumanism. Right? Yep. Yes. So those of us who are wanting to step in, step to pursue spiritually are about to be in more of a spiritual energy body state. We're still going to recognize ourselves, but like Jesus said, you won't, you're not going to be married. You're going to be like the angels in heaven, right? We're going to be more in an, we're going to be more aware of and fully embodied by our energy body. Like how it says he transfigured in front of his mm-hmm. disciples and he just did a little shape shift, if you will, however you want to picture that. That's going to be us. We're going to have more control of the energy that animates us, God's breath in us. We're going to be trusted with more ability to manipulate and interact with that. Okay. But everybody else is going to be present in a version of the world that's going to shit. And they're going to upload themselves into a digital matrix, into a, a, you know, a place to put their consciousness, just like we did when we came to this earth. Okay. So those are the consciousnesses that have not chosen to ascend at this time. So they've got to go to a new place. The rest of us will inherit the earth. I, I've told I've told Rich, I told you what, about three months ago, that I think tribulation is actually going to happen. I think we're in 
that seven year period. It's not mm-hmm. going to look, what are the four horsemen? I don't know. But I told him based on what I'm experiencing in the capacity, when I look at the unified field inside, mm-hmm. it looks like what you're talking about. It looks like complete restoration. Mm-hmm. Like it's, and it's not like I can see it. It's I'm feeling what it would feel like. Yeah. And it's like, okay, it's pretty damn good. And if you knew what it felt like, you would absolutely want it. But you can't convince people of something they haven't felt, yeah. which is which is why uh, what we were talking about earlier, the masculine is predominantly logic and the feminine is predominantly the heart. Mm-hmm. And in order to see that sense of coherence, which is that space, the unified field, you have to have coherence, which is why women are going to be naturally ahead of the men. Men have got to be able to get down to the heart because until you feel it, the chemical charge is actually happening in your body and you understand the value of it, it has no meaning because we feel meaning. We logically connect the ideas, but in order for them to become gnosis, we have to feel them. Mm-hmm. And that's what Jesus was able to do. Jesus had perfect coherence to be able to create an energetic experience in people that they felt, not just logically concluded. And that, I also, that's, yeah, go ahead, I, I, th- I think what, what's, what's important about what you're saying, Cleburne, is also we're not coming at this from a dispensational standpoint saying you're going to go to hell and you're going to hang out in the lake of fire. What, right. what the reason why I'm telling you about Jesus and about surrender and about what can be this is you're doing it out of love instead of a fear-based construct, right? I'm, I'm, why, why are you saving? Well, I'm out there because they're all going to die and they're going to be burning in hell forever, right? It's like, no, this is a different paradigm. And I think it comes from a more powerful framework than the traditional old, you know, brimstone kind of deal. Right. And this falls back to, are we God or are we separate from God? Well, we're all at least created by and animated by God. So it is, uh, it would be be awfully audacious of me to tell some other aspect of God with his own free will to choose the rate at which he's going to step further into his growing, that he needs to do it on my schedule or right now. Uh, Jesus was pretty rough like pretty blunt to the members of the church, the Pharisees, because mm-hmm. they were, they were gatekeeping people from the truth and mm-hmm. they were misleading people. So they were delaying the evolutionary, the evolution of the consciousness of many people. And this has been going on for a while, but outside of that, he didn't, you know, when I was a kid, I was like, why didn't he go around and stop all the bad guys at that time? That wasn't the point, but you know, for the same reason, it's like what you do for the least of these you do for me, the whole no separation concept. Mm-hmm. That was the same reason he said, forgive them. They know not what they do on the cross because there's no difference between me or you or you or you. Mm -hmm. You are an expression of divinity making a choice. So God loves us so much. Like when Cain killed Abel um, and he was like going to put a mark on him and Cain was like, well, if you do that and I go out, the other people are going to see me and they're going to kill me for what I've done. So God put a mark on him so that no one would hurt him. Correct. There's always grace. There's always grace, right? There's always grace the option to choose what you want. But in God's algorithm, every action has a consequence and you're going to have to keep at it um, until your choices lead you into Christ consciousness. So that sort of connects where what the ideas of um, reincarnation, but reincarnation Mm -hmm. is not as linear as how some people 
think. But effectively, yes, we've reached the end of the age. There's going to be a splitting off. So this hologram, this, this game that we live in, that we perceive, I mean, if you really think about it, we take so much stuff for granted that exists in the world that didn't exist 10 or 15 years ago. And even three years ago, the world was so different, right? And every now and then, stuff will just happen and the world's totally different out of the blue things Look are kind of this the world has accelerated since open eye came out i mean that's what mm. six it's like yeah. Yeah. it's crazy right so you know and then you can look back at ancient technology like the pyramids are a, the you know probably the most famous example that they are bafflingly well built at oh yeah point, that age had mastery they were able to build things that age got wiped away there is a remnant that remains as a as a connecting dot for people who need an intellectual connecting dot between the ages um, to, to see that that age had its time. Um, you could look at the flight of Egypt in the Bible, by the way, right after the Magi visited Jesus, the parents fled to Egypt to raise him. In that verse, it says, so that prophecy may be fulfilled, that I shall call my son out of the land of Egypt. So that was the baton being handed off from one age to the next. Christ said, the next time, it's not going to be one. It's going to be a lot of Christ. That's where we're at. Um, that's why there is such a, a thriving spiritual community that's like, for less, for better, for lack of a better term, normal people, right? Like this is not the hippie movement of the '60s necessarily that got stigmatized. This is like, you know, you and me. Function, functioning yeah. in society that are just like, you know what? Uh, I'm not trying to be radical here, but. Uh, no, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna see what it feels like to fall into love. Um, so that's where we're at. That that jumping off point is about to happen, and it will be imperceivable as this shift continues to happen because a lot of people right now are existing in a in their own version of you know calamity. The people that stare at the news, the people that are so emotionally invested, they don't even they don't even realize that their thoughts, their attention, is giving life to that system to that version of reality that we don't even like, we can't even think about it. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't even exist to us. Um, so that's, that's where the, the separation is about to happen. Do you um, have any I sense? Don't. Do you have any sense of when that was going to happen or is going to happen? I actually believe that I'm, I'm wholly on board with what you're talking about. So here's how time works when you're outside of it. Um, can you because, share how you experience this? Yeah. So, uh, when people, people want like a calendar date, right? But what's time a better is, way to understand it? Yeah. A better way to understand it would be if we had mastery of how astrology works, like how, how Genesis right up front in page one, God created lights in the firmaments for signs, which later on, some guys were watching those signs enough to know when his son was born. So we don't do that. Right. So if you wanted to be, gain a, gain a PhD in, you know, astrology, astronomy, the, the planetary motions that w those are more of an indicator of God's clock than our calendar, our Gregorian calendar. Those are effectively God's clock countdown timer. Uh, but even that doesn't matter because time doesn't really make sense except when you're paying attention to it. Um, mm. yeah, you, you already know, Matt, you already Felt it's a double slit experiment. Same you thing. already you already yeah, felt exactly. that, right? Like yep. so. So, how do you determine time? Well, this consciousness that's in this body, when we go to sleep at night, are we also still like, are we aging differently? Because when you're in, when you're dreaming, or when you're meditating, or sometimes like a like I hit the snooze button, it's a nine minute timer. If I go back to sleep, 
sometimes I have a dream that is nine minutes long, but it's a whole day for me. So mm -hmm. did I live nine minutes or did I live a day during that time? So as we embody ourselves as energy more than the idea that I'm this man, I'm this lump of clay that's animated, we will become more uh, able to accept is, is, are we one, are we God or are we separate from God? Was Jesus God or was he a man? Well, he's a lot of stuff all at once. So are all of us. So once we hear pretty soon, start feeling that time doesn't, doesn't make sense the way we've come to look at it when we look at our clock and time to be to work and all that stuff. Um, I've got a theological tangent. Rich, hold on a second. Yeah. So what I hear you saying is you don't know when it's going to happen on human conceived time. I think that I am experiencing it as quickly as I can accept it. And I don't even know the difference at this point between today or a year ago or two years ago. Um, because like it exists. So no, I don't know. I don't know how to give you a calendar day, but if you wanted to look at one, I could just tell you guys, as we are heading into this next one year, 2024, over the course of this year, you know, almost like write this conversation down or what you are thinking about today, date it and stamp it and then open it in six months and see if the world you're living at that time even resembles how you felt or what you thought or what was like part of your your backdrop in your life at this time, it will not be anything the same. It will not be anything the same. I believe I, that. I, and I think part of what I hear you saying is in this concept of time is the appearance of how you experience it, not an actual time on a clock. Yes. When you're outside of time. can be in different times, time almost zones and having the same experience at different times. Yes. Side yeah, by side like in the same room. Um, just like if you were to have a DVD in your hand, right? I'm looking at it right now, right this second. But if I were to put it in a DVD player and like experience the story, now you're giving time to it by stretching it out and observing it at a different pace. But take it back out and stop looking at that story. It's right here, right now. So that is the story of us from the context of eternity, right? Like it's, it's, it's there. It only exists or has a concept of time when consciousness is going in and moving through that storyline. But our consciousness, just like when you're in the dream state or the meditative state or the waking state, or you're uh, making love to a woman or when you're eating or when you're stuck in traffic, time affects you differently all the time. Sorry for talking so long, by the way, I, I really meant to. No, dude, uh, this has been this one amazing of stuff. Amazing stuff. fascinating conversations we've had this year. It, it's because you're, this is very much in our vein. Um, and it's very much in what Rich and I have really been dialoguing for the last year. Let me ask you one question. And then Rich, I'll let you close with one question too, is where do you go with what you know? What are you doing with it? I am uh, in flow with it. If that, I, I have no personal ambition. I'm not sitting here from my Cleburne mind trying to uh, paint a picture of what I want tomorrow to look like. If that, and that's all I can say. But are, are, I guess the question is, what is the responsibility leading you to do with it? Because it's obviously been given to you the awareness of it. I'm talking about the awareness. 
Okay. Uh, so what do you do with that? Cause I think gonna, that's what I wrestle with all the time. What do I do when I suddenly understand grace at a much deeper level? What do you do with that? Um, consciousness as far as like, how do I, uh, work through my day to day? What, what sort of practical things do I do? Yeah. Jesus led with a message. He told people he did, he was yeah. responsible for it. Where is it? Where is this whole journey leading you with that sort of awareness? It is to direct people into their own inner divinity, to take them out of their current framework of who, who the, the identity that most people hold for themselves is unbelievably limited. And it's not from a state of vanity to say, to point at somebody and say, you're God because you're, you're awesome and you can serve yourself however you see fit. It's because you are a cosmically empowered body of energy, literally capable of co-creating reality in conjunction with the divine. Um, and we take this for granted and we misuse it every second of the day. And you think about this, anytime you have an idea and put it on paper or start a DIY project or somebody invents something, um, there's evidence all around. So directing people to seriously outgrow their current idea or concept of who they are is the main message I'm here to do and do it in a way that has nothing to do with Cleburne. Um, it is moving people hopefully in a way that doesn't stroke their, their vanity or their ego, but rather their gratitude, uh, for being able to acknowledge that they have been animated and empowered and provided for all this time by a source that's so unfathomably big. And that is what we are. That is what we are. Just so I hear you clearly, you don't want to create the Church of Cleburne where you rake in millions. <laughs> uh, so I've got a spot picked out. It's right next to Joe Losing's church in Houston. So no, uh, that's not you what. Uh, build a bigger stadium. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not what. Uh, no, I'm not a not trying to start a start a church or a cult or anything like that. Uh, I just want to continue doing my part and see as many of us. Uh, working together in this next phase. That's awesome. Yeah. We That's actually cool. had a, we had a Tao priest on, um, who actually admired Joel Olstein. I couldn't believe it because he seemed like just very rooted. And if you read the Tao Te Chi and like some of the simplicity <laughs> and I'm like, dude, you're impressed by Joel Olstein. He talked I, a lot about hypnosis and, and he just thought Joel was a great guy. And I'm like, okay, all right. That's, that's unique. <laughs> yeah. I can't hate him. I met him before actually. Uh, and I had a chat with him and stuff. I can't hate Joel Osteen. I'm, I'm certainly, he's not like a, an, ex, an example of mine to follow. Um, because he's like, uh, he's, he's literally not malicious. Right. And like, no, he's, he's very winsome. Very, he, very, he makes, yeah. he makes a ton of money. Right. Like, but I at mm -hmm. least respect the fact that all the ties that his church makes he doesn't, he doesn't get paid by the church. He makes his money off of like appearance fees and books. So I'm like, okay, well that I can, I don't, I don't get as grumpy at him as like some of these other mega church pastors. But anyways, yes, he's not a, that's, that's not yeah. a. All right. My last question for you, it's a little bit of a theological tangent, but it also ties into where we are today. I, it's my understanding that Zoroastrianism was a dualistic kind of construct. There is good and evil always battling against each other, kind of mm -hmm. a lot like the Force. you got the Sith and the, the, the Jedi. Mm -hmm. And in fact, you might, I don't know if you knew this, but there was a guy named Mani, also from Persia, who came along and he created Manichaeism. Jonathan, have you heard of the term Manichaeism? I've heard a, of it. 
and I've never looked into it. It, it was a spinoff of Zoroastrianism, and actually, Saint Augustine loved it, and he was totally caught up in it. It was a little bit of Christ-like stuff in there, and there's a lot of dualistic stuff. But one of the things that I was getting at is, at least with what we see in Revelation, and I think what we love, what I like about it, as opposed to the cycle we're going over and over, is that there is an end to the story, meaning there's trials and tribulations, but at this point, there will be a consummation. There is an end to the epoch. Yeah. Um, and so do you believe that once we've made this shift, that's going to be the future state? Or do you think there's going to be another cycle of this all over again? Kind of like so, in Hinduism and, and, and Zoroastrianism seems like it's always a perpetual battle. If you really want to know what the finish line looks like. So again, there's a clump of humans or consciousnesses existing, energies. There's it, like more than we can see and like everything that's in existence in a certain age. There's a sifting process that happens. Some of it ascends to another uh, another matrix, another womb. Some of it has to recycle and continue working through stuff. Now, once certain parts, once certain fractals of source have like worked their way back into source, the game is over once every single ounce of energy has gone through enough cycles and ascended back into total communion with God. With the one. Yes. That and that is that is eternity. That place where all of everything conceivable, there is there is no such thing as no thing, right? There is nothing. People who say space is expanding into what? So um so the the all, when everything, that moment where everything is fully enlightened and ascended and looking through the eyes of God, that's the eternity of what you could call heaven or God consciousness. And then from there, the all, which is now one, can reconcile all of experience and sit in its own meditation of silence with itself until God wants to do it again. Yes. And Jonathan, this ties perfectly in a universalist framework where, you know, in universalism, I don't know if you're familiar with Christian universalism, um, Cleburne, but it's where God's love transcends man's stupidity. And ultimately, everyone will be reconciled through that nurturing over time, over an yes. eon, over epochs. Right. Mm -hmm. So this is this is good news. This is yeah. this is this is good news. Yeah. The the lake of fire, there's 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 no eternal damnation. There is mm -hmm. weeping and gnashing of teeth for the soul's. For the moment a soul comes unto true conviction where they, all of a sudden they gain a full grasp of the truth and they also gain a full grasp of what they themselves have been choosing to do so they themselves experience hell through their own guilt and shame and lack. And a lot of times that's a cycle to grow through, but for those souls that have done so much that it's irredeemable, that is also a part of like there's a truth and there's a symbolism, but the truth of the Christ consciousness dying and going into that place to be the hand to guide out of the utter darkness, those who otherwise could never give themselves the permission or see the way out. So at all levels, the process is enfolding on itself and moving itself up. Um, so yes, universal, the, that concept is uh, and this is not stuff, I'm not a big reader uh, because I don't want to accidentally regurgitate doctrine. Um, I sit and listen, and this is, this is the experience I've been given.
it's magnificent. I, I, I've, I've got goosebumps right now, man. I, I'm t- I, I, I think this has been a profound conversation and, um, this you is know, one of my it's, favorites. It's, it's yeah. incredible. We, you, we say that a lot. Wow. Grandma says we, this is best Thanksgiving ever every year. And it's like, <laughs> wow. It's like this, this was, this was uh, amazing and an absolute honor and a privilege to, to meld with you on this. I, I love it. I'm looking Guys, forward to our next chat. Yeah. This is yeah. amazing. Yeah, so we're gonna do. We, we've already decided we're gonna do a part two for listeners who are aware. We're gonna do this pretty quickly. Um, but Cleburne, this has been one of the most fascinating conversations because we got to dive into a lot of things that we care about, but that you care about as well. And I think this has been a very eye-opening conversation because I always love being surprised by new ideas, and you have a lot of amazing ideas and a lot of awareness. Um, so I look forward to our next conversation. Uh, so thank you for joining us. We really appreciate that. Thank you guys. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So, uh, to all of our listeners, thank you for listening. Uh, please subscribe and review comment. Uh, we're also on YouTube. So find us there. Um, would love to interact with you. If you have a suggestion for a guest, please let us know. There's a form on our website, living in the matrix.ai and really looking forward to where the next year is going. But this has been such a great way to bring in December. Um, mm, Advent, baby. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, we wish you the best, and we will see you in a week. Much love, everybody.